I have uh, the special um, privilege to introduce our guest preacher today. Some of you are familiar with him, but some aren't, and that some of y'all aren't is uh, a testimony to a lot of the vision and um, imagination and listening that uh, this uh, mentor and friend of mine uh, had in um, uh, with a group of people years ago. So we've been in this sermon series called We Are um, Unfolding Some of the Implications of Who We Are as a Community in Light of Who Christ Is and Has Said He Is. Um, and we thought it really fitting to uh, invite someone who um, is not directly these days part of the Oak Folk community, but is really instrumental in even our existence. Um, and so Mark Acuff uh, was uh, my boss and mentor and friend at the Gathering Church years ago. Um, many of you know our um, origin and, and uh, the things that we share with our sister congregation, the Gathering Church, and how we worship together various times a year and partner together in mission and ministry. Uh, in 2014, Mark and a group of folks um, had a, uh, depending on who you ask and when you ask, a, a brilliant or harebrained idea to plant a church community in this neighborhood, in this place. Um, and uh, I, I was thinking back just this week knowing that Mark was coming, uh, especially to some of the, like, uh, decision point meetings that we had. Um, everyone was praying and everyone was trying to imagine this new thing that didn't quite exist and how it could exist together. And uh, I specifically remember a lot of whiteboards being involved um, and sitting in a, in a um, preceptor room at Duke and kind of like finally sharpening it down to a point that we're, we're going to do this thing with God's help and blessing. And we didn't exactly know how it was going to work or if it was going to work, but we we're going to try to do this thing. And, um, and this thing is definitely an, an outgrowth and an outpouring of uh, so many of the things I've learned from Mark, uh, specifically uh, love of people um, and desire to uh, build communities around welcome um, and um, sharing the love of Christ with anyone and everyone and um, and there are also more specific kind of programmatic things that we learned and that we carry on some of which carry on even after uh, they've subsided from uh, gathering church culture like the like our potluck uh, Rach and I showed up as really green people in ministry um, without a whole lot of experience uh, at a potluck meal in the afternoon. It was one of the first public gatherings at the Gathering Church. And, and it was there that we uh, had our imaginations open to what ministry uh, based around the table might be. Um, they also gave me way too much room to explore and to experiment and to fail um, there. And a lot of the results of the successes, but also some of the failures that, that, that we tweaked and, and kind of reheated show up in this culture um, uh, with the Hoffmans and some others. So uh, it's a joy to invite Mark. Uh, I'll invite you up in a minute after I read our scripture for today. Um, th this uh, passage is from uh, Matthew 5, and it is uh, reflecting on Jesus's comment that he says that he is the light of the world. Matthew 5, 
is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mountain. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is God's word for God's people. I need to be clear about something. Oak was not my idea. (laughs) It was Chris's. And I first met Chris when he sent me a letter before we uh, even planted the gathering church. We had been meeting in a home on Sunday nights and we were getting ready to go more public using a church space. And Chris sent me an email and saying, hey, I understand that you're starting a church. I'd like to meet you, uh, talk about it. So we met at a coffee shop, and uh, that's when Chris's hair, you didn't go up, it just, it was, he had, he had the thickest head of hair I'd, I'd seen in a long, long time. And, um, and I invited him to the, our first service there. And I'll never forget that uh, before we left, he gave me an envelope with uh, his tithe and his giving. And I thought, he's in, he's in. Uh, No, but he came that first time with Rachel. And I have to say, Chris uh, pretty much co-planted the Gathering Church. Uh, Rachel and he were the glue, and he provided a lot of the structure of, you know, a a pastor that was for a pastor who's trying to find his, his way. And he created a lot of that, that, that culture there. And so we are still benefiting from his ministry and taking things uh, for granted. But I'll never forget when we gathered a bunch, all our leaders, anybody who had led anything, we met in the church office and, and Chris and Rachel uh, presented the vision. And again, we were meeting in a school. We were about uh, five years old. And in a lot of ways, it didn't make sense, um, particularly to my wife, who said, why are they going to get the building at Lakewood? Uh, <laughs> and, but their presentation that night, and particularly as both of them spoke about their vision, and Chris had had a vision for this Lakewood community for quite a while, uh, but when Rachel spoke as well, and, and with, with some tears behind her passion, it... It, it was automatic, and so we were we were excited. Um, some people that are gathering church, they, they might say today we've never truly recovered uh, from losing couples like the Hoffmans. But it anytime we're here, uh, I'm just so so thankful for their vision and for your vision and connecting with them. Because I have to say, I often wonder if God knows what he's doing. Uh, in my own life, uh, for instance, when I graduated from the University of North Carolina way back when, um, I applied to be on university staff, and they appointed me to be on staff at Duke University. So I had an office in uh, a chapel for seven years. Now, I knew Duke was a very dark place and needed the light of Christ. 
<clears throat> but, and then after that, I went to seminary at Gordon-Conwell, north of Boston, and lo and behold, I was appointed by the Southern Baptist Convention to be a church planner outside of Boston, which seems like a death wish uh, for ministry. Uh, Southern Baptists in New England are a little bit different breed. Most of the Southern Baptist churches in the Boston area were non-English speaking, uh, Haitian, Brazilian, Korean, uh, and so uh, uh, the, the Anglo churches were mostly transplants from the, uh, from the South. But Libby and I had an incredible privilege of being there for 15 years, but even to this day, I cannot properly pronounce the city uh, where we started the church. If you think Marlboro is pronounced Marlboro, you are wrong. It's Marlboro. Marlboro. And I could never do that. The Sunday I announced that I was moving to North Carolina, as I walked down the aisle, um, out of the service, one of the deacons was standing at the very back against the wall, and he, he would not look at me. So I went over and stood right in front of him so he couldn't avoid me, and he just, without blinking, he said, you were just beginning to talk right. Now, if you've wondered if God knew what he was doing, you're in good company because most of our biblical characters did too. Abraham and Sarah certainly wondered what God was not doing. Moses really thought that God was off by calling him to lead the, the people. Samuel really thought God didn't know what he was doing by calling the runt of the litter to be anointed as, as the next king, on and on and on and on. Uh, it certainly didn't look like God knew what he was doing coming in the form of a baby, a poor family uh, being born in a, in a manger. Uh, it didn't look like God knew what he was doing when Peter said, you are the Christ. And then Jesus spoke plainly to them and said, well, I'm going to suffer and uh, be put up to die. And remember what Peter said, come here, Jesus. No, 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 no. You don't know what you're doing. And that's when Jesus had to say, get behind me, Satan. And he said, anyone who follows me, they're going to have to pick up their own cross as, as well. Uh, even later, Peter, after filled with the Spirit and leading the church in Jerusalem, uh, he wasn't sure what God was doing by giving him this vision about eating all these unclean animals and sending him to the home of Cornelius, a Gentile. It's a great, great story because when the Holy Spirit comes upon Cornelius and his whole family and everybody gathered there and uh, Peter ends up baptizing him. He has to defend that to the apostles. And I love it. He almost throws up his hand. It was not my fault. God poured his spirit on them just like he did on us when we first believed. So what, 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 could, I, what could I do? But it's interesting. I never once thought or questioned, does God know what he's doing to start Oak? And to use, you know, Chris and Rachel and take them from us. No, I've never. I've, that, that was one of the few things I, I felt so sure uh, about. But our passage today, again, makes me wonder, does God know what he's doing? When Christ says, you are the light of the world, in your Lent series, when you focused on what Jesus said about himself, I am the light of the world, you know, from John chapter 8, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but they will walk in the light of life. Okay, I get that. I get that. But for Jesus to say of us what he said about himself, you are the light of the world. The most important thing that needs to be said, I want to say right at the very beginning, what Jesus was to the world is what we are now to the world. 
Not totally. We're not the savior of the world. We haven't hung on a cross for the forgiveness of sins for all humanity. But for him to say, first of all, I'm the light of the world, but now say, you are the light of the world. In John chapter 20, after his resurrection, verse 24, he says, as the Father sent me, so am I sending you. It's almost, well, it's not almost, it's exactly like Jesus given the disciples, the church, the baton. You know, here you go. Now, that's why he told them, don't leave Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's why he told them in the upper room discourse, it's going to be good for you when I leave because the Father is going to send another comforter, another advocate to walk alongside you, and he's going to teach you the truth, and he's going to convict the world of sin. But to think that we are now to the world what Jesus was and that what Jesus is now to the world is through us. I mean, the church has been responsible for so much darkness. What was God thinking? Well, light's a pretty incredible reality. Light was the first thing created, remember, in Genesis chapter 1, when God said, let there be light. Fascinating, uh, we see very little of the light that there is. Do you realize that? If the spectrum of light is longer than this, we, we see only the visible light, the wavelengths that our eyes can recognize. If the wavelength is too long, we can't see that light it's ultraviolet, or it's x-ray, or it's gamma rays. If the wavelength is too short, we can't see that either. It's infrared. Uh, it's microwave. It's radio waves. You know, in your cell phone, well, the latest, if you get the latest one for Apple, you'll have a chip in it that will have 16 billion transistors on that one chip in your hand, 16 billion transistors. And to get those small enough, little electric parts, they had to use light, but a light we cannot see. They had to use extreme ultraviolet light. And they had to, I mean, they had to create new science or discover new science to even produce this Extreme ultraviolet light that would be, you know, shine like a laser over a disc. And there's only one machine, a lithographic machine, that can even produce. It's as big as a bus. It costs over $200 million, and only three companies on the planet can even afford it, like Intel, like Samsung in Korea. And it requires such precision that it'd be like shining a laser from the moon and hitting a coin on Earth. That, that's what's in your, in your hand. Something that required extreme ultraviolet light. I like to think that when Jesus said, you are the light of the world, he wasn't just talking about visible light. He was talking about all of light and ways people sense us or sense God's love and truth, uh, not necessarily just through their, their, their brain working in a certain way, but their hearts and their feelings. Most amazing thing about light, though, is that the apostle, Apostle John, said, God is light. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And that meant a purity 
a transparency, uh, nothing unexposed. And this is where light becomes essential, not only to give life, and John can't hardly mention light without connecting it to life. You know, in John chapter 1, when he says, uh, in him was life, and that life was the light of all people, and where we live in the light of a life, most important thing about it is what it does to darkness. Because darkness is the default, all right? It's the default. In Genesis 1, darkness covered the face of the deep. And then God said, let there be light. The ministry of Jesus is described in Matthew's gospel when he quotes Isaiah, uh, Matthew 4, when he says, a light shines on a people who had been living in darkness, the people in Galilee. The default is darkness. And anything associated with light is associated with God. That's why a Christian is described as someone who's now part of the church's uh, a royal priesthood, a chosen people, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that we might declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, it describes Christians, the church, as those who've been rescued from darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son he loves Psalm 107 describes a lot of the human experience. Sometimes we're in a wilderness and we need to find our way to a city or find our way to a home. Sometimes we're sitting in darkness, in the deepest gloom, so we need to be rescued. We focus many times on salvation as far as the forgiveness of sins, which is no small matter, um, but we forget huge part of uh, salvation is being rescued from darkness. And you and I will never meet anybody who doesn't need to be rescued. They need to be cleansed for their sins. They need to be healed from the wounds and the sins of others. And they need to be delivered, rescued from darkness. And darkness is never far away. Seth Meyers, the comedian, was describing how his small preschool kid had one of those toys that, uh, for shapes, uh, you know, where you put a star, you put an oval, a circle, a square, triangle. But somehow they had lost the star toy. And every time they played with it, their son, we need to get another. Where's our star? Where's our star? Well, they were invited to a birthday party of one of his friends. And while they were over there, uh, they pulled out the very same toy, which included a star. And Seth Myers was stunned at how quickly he thought, I bet I could sneak that out of here. <laughs> I mean, he even looked around. Do they have a nanny cam around here? He was just stunned that he was thinking about stealing a kid's little toy. And one of the things that stopped him, he was sure once he got at home and he played it, his son would say, this is Henry's star. What's it doing at our house? That's how close darkness is. I love it, though, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, it describes a Christian as someone who's heard the God who says, let there be light, has made light shine in our hearts so that we might see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Apostles had a hard time coming up with language big enough 
for the transformation we experience with Christ, new birth, regeneration, recreated. There it compares our transformation. It's like the beginning of the world. I'm the light of the world. We are now the light of the world as the body of Christ. Well, how does the world see our light? Well, it's pretty obvious. The passage says they see it by the good works that come out of us. It's interesting. When Peter uh, went to Cornelius' house, we don't hear a lot of what he said. The Holy Spirit interrupted him before he finished his sermon, probably. But he says, you do know about this Jesus who uh, was announcing good news and who was anointed by God, who went around doing good and healing people uh, from uh, the works of the devil and for Satan. So it's, it's the works that come out of our, it's the goodness that come out. And Chris Steen, when he preached the sermon the second Sunday of Lent about I am the light of the world, he, uh, he titled it An Illuminating Presence. An Illuminating Presence. I, I want to give you a little test. Finish this Bible verse from John chapter 10. I've come to the world that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Okay, I'll, I'll give a dollar to anyone who, that's the second half of that verse. I'll give a dollar to anybody who can recite the first half of that verse. None of you have been raised Southern Baptist and had to, <laughs> had to memorize Bible verses to get your rocket to move around the world in vacation Bible school. The first half of the verse is the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come. In other words, he goes to where life is being killed, destroyed, robbed, people are being robbed. That, that means for our light to shine in the world, we, we've got to go to where it's dark. You know, in the lives of people, in little ways, in big ways. Uh, that means because we're the light of the world as the body of Christ, somebody on this planet should be suffering less and experiencing more because you're taking breath. Somebody should be suffering less and experiencing more. And what's the more? Uh, uh, the more is being brought into the light of the gospel, into the light of God, the love of God. That's what Jesus told Paul when he called him on the road to Damascus, according to Paul later when he's given his defense before Agrippa in Acts chapter 26. He said, here's what he said, he, you know, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles to bring them out of darkness. That's why he spoke and wrote to the church, a lot of Gentiles in Ephesus. He, he, he said, you are no longer in darkness. You're now in the light. So live as children of the light. In one very logical you know, way, it, it, it's inevitable. If we've been plugged into Jesus, then it's, you know, that's what comes out of us. My, my son, Will, and his wife moved to uh, East Nashville a number, many years ago, maybe 14 years ago. And they lived in not a cool part of East Nashville. They lived in a tough part of East Nashville. If you're anybody familiar with Nashville? South of Gallatin. And uh, matter of fact, it's not a very safe part. We, we took an Uber from the airport, and the Uber driver said, do you have family there? 
Why do you want to go? That's not very, very safe. Uh, a wealthy person that wanted to support what my son ended up doing there introduced him at a fundraiser in his backyard. And he said, I asked Will if he carries a gun. And, you know, it's not safe. Does he carry a gun? And he said, no, but he does carry a tourniquet. Uh, and so he lived in that neighborhood, and he began to ask himself a question. You know, uh, how do I serve my neighbors? How do I really love my neighbors? So he began helping out. They began helping out in a school, doing after-school tutoring. Then they connected with a rec center, a rec center that some parents wouldn't even allow their kids to go to because of the potential of violence. And they started a class. His wife was, had a job working in the prison, so they started a class for ex, uh, you know, so for people that had come out of the justice system. And the first class, he couldn't get anybody to go in there without bribing them, you know, bribing with a hot dog. And a guy goes in there and identifies himself as a drug dealer. What can you teach me, Miss Tiffany? And she, oh man, if you're if you've been dealing drugs, you understand something about supply and demand and managing people. Da, 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 da. And that's how it began. And as it went along, they entertained families on their street for breakfast, NBA video contests for kids. But it kept going. And he realized, I need to do, if I'm really going to love them, I've got to love them the way I love myself, which I care about our economic well-being. So he got licensed, paid $10,000, he got people to chip in for a, a license for a curriculum on how to plan, start, and grow your own business. So back in 2016, he got uh, 13 people in that community gathered together at the rec center to go through this class, and he brought in business leaders to talk to them. And uh, at the end of that 10 weeks, they had you know, 13 graduates and about 35 people there. Well, they had their 14th graduation this past Tuesday night. And they graduated 150 graduates, and there are over 1,200 people there. And they're nearly now up to 1,000 people that have grown out of that uh, place called the Academy. And it's interesting, all the staff are graduates of the program. State of Tennessee has put them in the budget for a million dollars. Notre Dame has chosen them as its research project for their Center of Poverty Research. They're the largest minority entrepreneurship uh, program in the state of Tennessee. It is blown up. By the way, about two years ago, uh, <clears throat> he decided, you know what, I shouldn't be the executive director. It's mostly a, it's in a black community, black organization, particularly black, a lot of black women are, you know, students and graduates. And so he, uh, he mentored a person who'd been through it, and she's been the executive director for the last year. She's the one that goes to New York City in their partnership with Goldman Sachs for black women entrepreneurship. Uh, other people can't believe he, in this organization going up that he stepped down, he's still on staff raising money. But the neat thing is there's a lot of bridges over the Cumberland River in Nashville, and one of them they can light up in a special way from time to time. And the colors of uh, the organization called Corner to Corner, and the school is called the Academy, um, <clears throat> uh, their colors are green and, and black. So now the city of Nashville, when they have graduation, that bridge is lit up green. And all those people, people, Will says they come from an un, un, underestimated neighborhood. That's the way he describes it. And because uh, he, he believes there's beauty, there's nobility, there's creativity. Matter of fact, don't ever be a white church asking him to do a fundraiser. Because he might say, F your pity. <laughs> we don't need your pity. Uh, you act like you're the good image and we're the bad image. No, this is this unbelievable what's happening here.
Now, that's a huge light shining thing. And they say we're doing it because Jesus asked us to love our neighbor like we uh, love, uh, love ourselves. As big as that is, you know, a big thing he told me about the other day was one of the kids that used to live on their street who had moved away with his father is back in town, and they were having him over to play. Uh, he said they're back in town living at the shelter. So we want to have him over. We need to find out what's going, going on there. That's a huge, huge way that a light, you know, the whole organization... But the interesting thing is, you don't have to do that to be light in the world. All you have to do is, first of all, experience the light in your own life, in the dark places, and invite others into that light, and just be, be present. Be that illuminating presence. And you're not doing good work so people pat you on the back. What? You're doing good work so people will do the best thing possible to praise God in heaven. Romans chapter 1, sin is described as a worship sin. That people, even though they knew God, did not glorify him as God or give thanks. So the, the, the cure for sin or the outcome that it's been cured is worship, worship. Since I stepped down two years ago, or three years ago, from being a lead pastor, I, uh, I've been focusing on, on marriage and helping couples, particularly couples that aren't in a crisis, but just want to tune up their marriages. And I've started an organization called Purpose Filled Love. And also, I did some online classes, Loving with Purpose. Uh, I did a men's class called Before She Hates You. And uh, <clears throat> I asked the men if I should change the title. I said, absolutely not, absolutely not. But what I've discovered has been shocking. And the reason I'm doing the classes because the more I did research on marriage, I realized, man, I need to apply this stuff to my 40, almost 49-year-old marriage. Uh, I'm learning stuff myself. I can't believe how blind I was. I can't believe how much in the dark I was about why I responded to things like I, I, I do. I've also been involved in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course coming out of uh, Queens. Pete Scuzzero has written the books about it. And one of the things you discover, well, I had no idea that I had this emotional life that had been shaped in all sorts of ways. I was blind. I was in, in the dark. But my biggest shock in doing all this is to discover how little our faith seeps over into this most important relationship in our life. How little our faith impacts uh, the one you're supposed to love sacrificially like Christ. And have you ever thought, well, what does it mean in my marriage that, that we're the light of the world, that I'm the light of the world? You, you know, what does it mean? Matter of fact, I've talked to men about their marriage. They often say, I know I should love my wife better. Da, da, da. And I want to say, man, if you're a Christian, that's a wrong answer. That's totally the wrong answer. As someone, as the light of the world, as someone with the spirit of the living God, you, sh you could be saying, not should, you could be saying, here's how I'm learning how to love my wife better. In Christ, as the light of the world, we should be reporting, not whining about, oh, I know I should be better. So you can take any dimension of your life as a church, as an individual, as a family, and just ask, what does it mean that I'm the extension of Christ in this place? that I am the light, of, and it's not a pressure statement, it's an invitation. Notice in the passage, he doesn't say, go out and be the light of the world. 
No, you are the light of the world. What he's saying is, stop not being the light of the world. And don't hide your, bush, your light in a bushel basket, which so many churches do. You know, let it shine in this community like you do, like you have. Your block party, all the sorts of things that you, you do to connect and be a presence in this community. And by the way, wherever you worship, okay? My first church, we built a big building, 38, da, 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 da. A few years into it, I said, man, you know what? We used to be a purpose instead of a place. What happened to us? Wherever you gather to worship, you will be the illuminating presence of Christ. If Christ is the hope of the world, guess what? Then we're the hope of Christ in the world. Let's pray. Father, I'm often so aware of uh, the darkness in my life that I, I, I fail to appreciate the inevitable light that comes out of union with you. Sure, in many ways it doesn't make sense to trust your life, your love, your light uh, to people. But that's the glory of it, that regardless of our deficits, we have this incredible abundance of love and grace. I pray that you keep pouring out your love in the Oak community and that it'll keep spilling over and that wherever they encounter darkness, whether it's in marriage, family, work, or whatever, that they won't feel pressured to be the light. They'll just feel the opportunity of it out of a natural, dynamic relationship with you. Jesus, we thank you that you weren't part of a dark world. You came to live in this dark world, but you outside it was the light of this world. Shine through us. Shine through this church in Jesus' name. Amen.